right, Alexander, let's talk about uh, Putin's speech that he made the other day, um, a speech that was heavy on uh, the Russian culture, Russian history, Russian religion, the, the unified um, civilization that is Russia. Uh, a very interesting speech, and I know you have a lot of uh, thoughts about uh, this speech that Putin made. And by the way, um, he said some things which could be hinting at the possible end game for uh, Ukraine, for the special military operation as well. So what are your, your thoughts? I was one of his most interesting speeches, and certainly the most interesting speech he's made this year, actually. So, I mean, uh, that, that, that is how important it is, because... It shows very much how uh, what the trend of discussion within the Russian leadership is. And it's not just Putin. We've seen other Russian officials um, talking in something like the same way. But it's been taken much further by Putin this time. And of course, as Putin often likes to do, he, he gives a whole um, historical context to all of this. And he made some very, very interesting points. The first thing he said, I mean, not, not in order of what he said, but the thing that he said, which the starting point for me of what he said is that there is that Russian history is continuous, that, you know, that you had Kiev and Rus, notice the ancient Rus, which starts with Kiev. Then you had the Tsardom of Moscow, which is what you had from the, about the 14th century until the 16th. Then you have the Russian Empire, you know, started by Peter the Great. Then you had the Soviet Union, and now you have Russia today. But all of these are Russia. They're part of Russian history. We should take pride in the achievement of each part. It is part of our story. We should not be embarrassed or uh, um, upset about what happened during all of that time. We shouldn't go out and say, you know, this is good and this is bad. This is all part of the procession of our history. So that was already interesting. The second thing that he said was that Russia is a multi-ethnic country. It's a country of many different peoples who've been brought together. Now, it's important to stress this is not a product of immigration, mass immigration into Russia. What happened was that Russia, the expanded from about the 14th century right up through to the 20th century. It emerged as this huge land mass. It brought together um, these many different peoples inside it. But each of these peoples has a connection to Russia, that they have an involvement with the Russian state, and that this is in that respect, a multi-ethnic, civilizational country bringing together all these different peoples. And he made a very interesting point. He said that this is something which makes Russia completely different from countries in the West. And Westerners find this extremely difficult to understand, that a single country with a single conception of itself, a nation, in other words, with a single conception of itself, can be established in this way. He then went on to say that even though it is a country of many peoples, there is one nation which nonetheless 
brought it about and which is its glue, and that is the Russian nation. And the Russian nation is the glue that holds the whole thing together, and the Russian nation um, has been able to do that, firstly because of its own traditions, its culture, its adherence to traditional values, which is something that all of the peoples of this great region share, and of course because of its religion. And he placed more emphasis on orthodoxy and the importance of orthodoxy as forming the Russian historical experience in this speech than he has ever done before. And of course the patriarch was there and participated in the whole discussion and he was also alongside Putin, essentially the key presence at this conference. And then he went on to define the Russian nation. And this is where it hints at the eventual outcome of the SMO, because he said that the Russian nation um, historically is formed of three branches. He called it a triune. And it's just the Russians, the Belarusians, and the Ukrainians. They're part of the historic Russian nation. And he strongly criticised the policy of what he called artificial division that was created. He didn't make it clear who was responsible for that, but he clearly was referencing Lenin. That it was the, 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 that Lenin and the Bolsheviks created these artificial divisions within the Russian nation by separating them, creating Belarus and Ukraine and Russia and pretending that these were different nations when they are in fact all branches of the same Russian tree. And he said about the current conflict that Russia is fighting this existential struggle, that the West doesn't understand and won't accept this big construct that's been created, this Russian state that's been created, that it wants to break it down, that it's reviving uh, rhetoric from the Tsarist era about Russia being this prison house of the peoples and um, that the Russians being a nation of slaves. He said this is all completely untrue and that this is therefore an existential struggle for Russia and for the Russians and that that is the nature of the struggle that they're fighting, and they're also fighting for traditional values, but also for the independence and freedom of all countries that oppose Western hegemonism. That's the part of the speech that he's made in the past. But if you follow through the logic of what he was saying, then you can't, you can't help but sense that the preferred end point for him, and I'm not saying this is yet a political strategy, is where all these three branches of the tree are brought back together. The Russian nation is once again made whole, and that Ukraine and Belarus, therefore, are brought back into the motherland. Yeah, I, I wonder for, for Ukraine what type of form that's going to take. Um, you know, Belarus is, is part of the, of the motherland, Let's say the Ruskimir, 
as its own entity, as its own sovereign country, but very much tethered and anchored into into Russia. Uh, I, I wonder if that's what all is said and done, if that's going to be the the end game for Ukraine or if it's going to be as an actual uh, federation of Russia, of course, taking out the west of Ukraine, which I think now everyone understands uh, Russia has no interest in. I don't even know how interested Europe is in, in the west of Ukraine, to be honest right now. But um, yeah, I just I just wonder what what form this this unification of the three branches is going to take. Well, I don't think if you ask Putin himself, he would be able at the moment to answer that question. I think that will depend very much on the outcome of the war. But for the what for do the you record, think he would prefer? Yeah, I think for or, I think he would prefer a a, a result similar to the one of what he has with Belarus. In other words, a Ukrainian state but a Ukrainian state which did not include the Russian areas. And, by the way, he apparently had a meeting over the course of this address. I'm not quite sure how this meeting happened, because he addressed these people by video link. But apparently he did speak with the governor of uh, Kherson region, Russian-appointed Kherson region, uh, Sladko. And apparently he basically tells Sladko, yes, we're going to get all of Kherson back, including Kherson west of the Dnieper, the Ukrainian-controlled part of Kherson. And he pretty much made it clear, apparently, that uh, Odessa, Ismail, Nikolaev will also become Russian once more. And apparently that's what Sladko is telling us. And he said, Sladko also said that he spoke to other Russian officials and Russian military people who were present. And they all took this for granted, that they were all in agreement that this is indeed the eventual plan. So... A, a Russia that is expanded to include all of these other territories and also two independent states. Ukraine, based on Kiev, Zhitomir, Chernigov, central Ukraine. Belarus, within its existing borders. But these two states absorbed again into the Ruskimir, the Russian world tied to Russia in all kinds of intense and collecting strong ways and essentially brought back together, brought to back together with Russia again. I think this is probably his preferred outcome. Yeah, and it, it would be a Ukraine that would be landlocked, but because it would be part of the Ruskimir, it would have the, the access, the accessibility to to the Black Sea as well, and, and whatever trade it needed. Yeah. Yes, yes. As I said, I, I, that's exactly right. Now, I want to stress again, this is what I think Putin's um, ideal result would probably be. And by the way, note again the importance of orthodoxy, Russian orthodoxy, playing a role because every all of these countries are orthodox. They, they share the same civilization. They're all Eastern Slavs. The, uh, you know, ending the sense of division that existed between Russia and these people, these peoples. So I guess his ideal outcome. I'm not saying necessarily that that's how it's going to turn out. I get the sense that some people in uh, Russia now, maybe Vyacheslav Volodin, the um, um, speaker of the Duma, 
are actually thinking more radically than that about outright annexation of places like Kiev as well. But, you know, I, I don't think that Putin himself has reached that point yet. Yeah. What about the talk of uh, of trying to break up Russia? Because I think Putin was was hinting at that in in the sense that the the one way that the collective West could look to to uh, sabotage uh, um, Russia to to break apart Russia is is one of the tricks that they've always used historically, which is yes. to, to create differences in, in ethnic groups and, and really build those up. And eventually you get to some sort of, uh, of a conflict. Um, well, what do you think the, the chances of that uh, are at this moment in time, given the fact that I imagine, I haven't been following this too closely, but I imagine that Russia has, has dealt with to, to a great extent, the, I guess it was called the, the fifth column, is what they would call it, the say the NGOs, the think tanks, the Western-sponsored universities. I imagine that Russia has clamped down on that quite a lot over the past oh. couple of years. But maybe they still do have a presence or do have some sort of influence um, in Russia or, or in the government. I'm not sure. But w- what do you think the chances are of, of I mean, the United States, the collective West, trying to stir up uh, tension and division? It does. Ex- I mean, there are people like that. Um, in Russia, but I think there are a residual uh, presence in the sense that, you know, in the 1990s and in the first decade of Putin's time, Russia was wide open to this kind of thing. So, I mean, you know, I I, and I mean, the point is that the doors have now been shut. So there's people who were still educated like that. Many of them, of course, have left, but some of them are still there. But I think that increasingly their influence is diminishing. And by the way, I've been looking at opinion polls in Russia. And it's interesting. Again, you know, you could see a certain steady drift away from, uh, um, you know, that kind of thinking amongst young people, especially. So just saying. So, I mean, you know, Russians are increasingly receptive to these ideas of Putin's. And amongst young people in particular, I noticed that there's been the opinion polls suggest a, a growing interest in Soviet period, which is unsurprising by the way, and you, you notice how careful Putin is to make it clear that the Soviet period is part of Russian history as well. But whatever the Soviet Union was, it was not, uh, you know, the kind of thing that, you know, we've just been talking about. It's not what the NGOs and all of those things were seeking to promote. What Putin is going to do is he's going to, first of all, I should say that, to be very clear, this breakup agenda most definitely does exist in the West. You get occasional denials that it does, but it absolutely does. You've seen seminars held about it. You've seen conferences about it. You see articles (laughs) appearing about it. You see maps. You see um, even opinion pieces appearing in the mainstream media. Um, So, I mean, it most definitely does exist in the West. And not just on a fringe, by the way. I mean, the kind of people who support this thing are not in any conceivable sense the fringe at all. I think what Putin remembers, and I think what many Russians remember, by the way, at least those who think about and care about these things, is that um, when the Soviet Union, in its last months, held a referendum about whether or not people wanted to remain together or go apart, the overwhelming majority of people who voted, 80% voted 
to remain together. So I think that Putin says to himself, that's the instinct, that's the fundamental sentiment that most people have, provided we don't open ourselves up to having that kind of influence brought into our country from outside. And he made it, I think, fairly clear that he feels that if there are stirrings of inter-ethnic you know, conflict, that is basically coming from outside, provided we don't let that come to us from outside, and provided we don't make the disastrous mistake that the Soviet Union did of dividing ourselves up into constituent republics, pretending that each one of these is somehow independent and that each one of them has the right of secession, which is what Lenin insisted on way back in the early 1920s. Provided we don't make those kind of mistakes, we are going to be able to hold together, and not just hold together, but hold together successfully and build up our country and prosper and succeed. And I think at the moment, I think he's probably right. I mean, I don't really see any great sign that that's going to change. And um, I think that what Putin also says to himself is, of course, there are some places like Western Ukraine, which emphatically do not want to be part of the Ruski Mir. So for that reason, it's better that they stay outside because bringing them in might contaminate and uh, uh, might contaminate the rest. And I think he also feels that that was what happened when um, Stalin absorbed Western Ukraine into the Soviet Union during the Second World War. Yeah, I agree with that too. Absolutely. The, the narrative has always been that uh, the, the problem for Ukraine was the East, the Russian part, but that's not true. The problem for Ukraine was the incorporation of the West, which never wanted anything to do with, with the Ruski Mir. They, they hate the Ruski Mir. Yes. They also hate the, the, the Polish world as well. I mean, they don't really like anybody, which is the problem. And, and so I, I think that, that the narrative about Ukraine has always been, well, you know, we have to deal with the East of Ukraine. I think that's false. I think the problem was always the West of Ukraine. I absolutely agree. And no one that. really yeah. knew what to do yeah. with the West. Yeah. No yeah. one, Europe wasn't too keen on it. Uh, Russia was it, and, and Stalin, you know, he put it together. I think that was the that was the big mistake. Anyway, yeah. I think I think that's I think that's Putin's thinking. Anyway, it's a very very interesting speech. Now there is one thing other else I wanted to say, which is that there are domest domestic dimensions to this speech as well, which are partly connected to what we were talking about. But Putin is clearly working towards doing something very similar to what his great friend Orban did in Hungary and what he has always been working towards anyway, which is that he wants to um, promote uh, not just when he talks about traditional values and family values, he wants to make um, the family very much again the centre of Russian policy. And of course, this is all partly connected with increasing the birth rate, increasing the, you know, reversing the demographic slide in Russia's population, which has, I mean, that slide has significantly slowed in the last 10 years, but it's never been fully reversed. 
So I suspect that after this speech, over the next couple of months, next year, we're probably going to see a major program being unveiled in Russia, um, possibly patterned on what has happened in Hungary to try to um, increase um, the birth rate, to try to strengthen families, to do that kind of thing. And um, probably going to be funded, there'll be more creches, more kindergartens, more financial support for families, perhaps other things also. Which has worked for Hungary. It's worked Which well. has worked for yeah. Hungary, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, in a yeah. period, period of economic upswing, which is what we're seeing at the, uh, at the moment in Russia. And with uh, lots of men probably eventually returning from the war and wanting to, you know, have families, <laughs> it's, you know, it's quite plausible. It, after all, it's what happened also in Europe, by the way. After the Second World War, we had the so-called baby boom at that time. And it was because all of these three things came together at the same time, at that time too. Good time to, to be in Russia. I guess. Um, yeah. So, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. And uh, oh, what, what I mean, like the West of Ukraine, I'm talking about the ba- the bander rights. I'm not talking. About oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like territory. Lviv and all, I'm talking like the bander rights, the bandera ideology. Yes. Yes. I'm talking about. Well, I completely, I completely agree with that. Now, I think that one of the points I would just make on that, just, just, just to finish is that, you know, I, I'm not, Again, I'm not predicting outcomes, but I can possibly see how if we get into a situation where Western Ukraine becomes a standalone state, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but let's assume it does, that might be the way that Western Ukrainians find of getting through all of this, finally have a state yep. they're not being absorbed into the Ruski Mir, and they're able to work through all of these issues with Bandera and all the rest. And finally, that's my question. How do they exactly. deal with? I mean, well, finally, you, you say that. Them. Yeah. How do you deal with with the Bandera issue, though, Alex? I mean, this is to me, this is the core issue. Well, this this the, is it. How do you deal with this ideology, which is yeah. you know 80, 80 years old, and it's and it's very very strong. I mean. The Bandera yeah. people, they really believe in bed that they have statues to the guy. They, they, they hold photos of him. Solution, he has a picture of the guy in in his office. I mean, how do you deal uh, with and, this? And two busts, apparently. If you're Europe. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you're Europe, if, how do you, if, if you're the EU, well, how do you deal with this Bandera well, how, ideology? Well, well, how indeed? Perhaps, well, let's be straightforward about it. The EU has shown absolutely no concern about it whatsoever. They're going to look the other way and pretend it isn't there. And, um, you know, they will be happy with a Western Ukrainian state, provided it is not pro-Russian. But if you have a Western Ukrainian state, a state which Western Ukrainians feel secure in, then perhaps over time, and we're talking about decades, not in any, you know, short space of time, you might begin to see within Western Ukraine itself more and more people starting to question and challenge this thing because what is keeping it alive is this sense that you have to have it because if you don't, the Ruski Mir will absorb us. So, you know, that, that, that's just a possibility. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But anyway, I mean, that's, that's the my, only thing my, I can my think question, of. I don't want to make this video too long, but my question to you is if you're Poland... Don't you make a demand of of this Western entity 
to remove all streets named Bandera, all statues, anything consisting of Bandera. If you're Poland, don't you make that request? Don't you you demand that request? Well, you should do, and you should make it absolutely clear that if it doesn't, then it should not. This this entity should not be allowed into the European Union or to NATO. I mean, that it seems to me is the obvious, logical, and correct thing that Poland ought to do. Of course, whether they will or not, it depends very much on who's in power in Poland at that time. All right, we'll leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and Twitter X. And go to the Duran Shop, twenty percent off. Use the code the Duran twenty. Take care.